Good morning. You might wonder why in the world I'm here. <laughs> and uh, the back of your bulletin gives you a clue. Kishwaukee Bible Church and Rock Valley Bible Church are sister churches, and occasionally that means something. Occasionally that means something. Not as often as it needs to. Um, but today is one of those times. We, Steve Brandon is at Kishwaukee Bible Church this morning preaching. And, uh, and I'm here because we are in the same family. We're sister churches and, uh, and we're excited about that. We're, we're thinking about ways that we can be more of an encouragement to you. You can be more of an encouragement to us. You know, one of the things that Steve Brandon will say this morning, I know he'll say that because I've never heard him preach at Kishwaukee Bible Church since this church was established here, that he didn't say this. Here's what he'll say. He says, now listen, if you value the sister church relationship between Kishwaukee Bible Church and Rock Valley Bible Church, you need to get up to visit us in Rockford. That's what he'll say. Some, he'll find a time to work that in somewhere. And uh, I just want you to know that there is one family from uh, KBC here this morning, right? Wayne, where are you? Wayne uh, and Gail Stensred are in the back, and, and they're here because they do value that relationship. And, and uh, so we're just excited about that. And, and I'll be here again on March 4th for the third in a series of family seminars on the subject of Christ in every room of your house. Just want to, one thing I want to say to you is that if you've missed one or two of the first two, don't worry about that. Um, each one of these sessions does build on the other, but they also stand alone. So uh, we can, if you miss the first two, come catch the next one. And we'll do this through May or June or however long we decide to go. Well, the kids should have their kids' notes. looks like this. Okay, it's on a clipboard. Um, some adults might have one of these. It's okay. Um, and the rest of you should have something that looks a little bit more like this, front and back. And uh, we're going to be talking about the subject of sanctification now, kids, that's a big word for becoming like Christ. Okay, becoming like Christ. And I've learned some things in the study of this passage that change the way I think about sanctification. And uh, I've asked God to help you this morning. I, I've been praying and asking that God would... Uh, give you a sense of urgency about this subject and about this message this morning that you may not always have when you come to church on Sunday. And if, if he's answering my prayer, and he may not be, he may be answering it without you being aware of it this moment, okay? But if he's answering my prayer, at some point in time, you're going to say something like this, this is important. I've got to get my hands on this. I've got to get my arms around this. I have to understand this better than I've ever understood it before. And I've asked him to give you a sense of urgency for it, a, a sense of importance, uh, a sense of th a thirsting. You're, you're, you know the, the Word of God talks about that, that, that God gives us a thirst for His Word. Right? I, I prayed that a sense of urgency and a thirst would be yours this morning. If you don't have it right now, that at some point during this message, He's going to give it to you. Not because I prayed, but because that's what He wants. And, I'm, and, and this is true. I'm asking God to do this for certainly adults, but I'm aware that there are teenagers here. I'm aware that there are children here. And I'm asking Him to do this for them just as much as for their parents. 
And I'm going to try to make it clear and simple. <laughs> I'm going to try to make it clear. This is important. It's, it's important for every Christian, young and old. Dads, if you're a father, I've asked God that he would enable you to understand this so that when you leave here and your children have questions or your wife has a question, that you will be able to answer their questions about this. Specifically what? How God intends for us to become more like himself, more like his son. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, good. I'll probably ask you that just to wake you up every now and then, okay? I want you to try to, you've got to use your imagination right now. I want you to try to imagine this. Imagine God talking to a man so that he could hear. Talking to men in such a way that he could hear them. All-powerful creator God of the universe making a sweeping set of promises to a man and to his family. Before he made the promises, he gave him, he told him, I, I'm going to want you to do some things that are going to be really hard. I'm going to want you to leave the place you're in. I'm going to want you to leave your relatives, your father, and by implication, your inheritance. I'm going to ask you to walk away from your inheritance. And... Trust me that I'll take you to a place that you don't know about now. And here's what I promise I'll do for you. I'm going to make a great nation out of your family. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to plaster it all over everywhere. And you're going to be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. And if somebody decides to take it on themselves to curse you, to hurt you, I'm going to curse them. And then the biggest promise of all is, through one of your descendants, I'm going to bless all the nations in the entire world. Wow. Wow. What a great set of promises. Now, this morning, I'm probably going to say this a few times, God's promises are connected to our sanctification directly. God's promises, we tend to think of God's promises directly related to our comfort, right? But God's promises are directed primarily to our sanctification. Some of us are not as sanctified as we ought to be because we haven't picked up on that yet. Dads, husbands, some of your wives, some of our wives, some of our children aren't as sanctified as they ought to be because we haven't helped them pick up on that yet. That there's a direct connection between the promises of God and the sanctification of His people. All right, so God made these promises. By the way, what's this man's name? Abraham, he made his name great, didn't he? Yeah, almost everybody here knew who I was talking about and I didn't even mention his name. Well, what did he do when he heard these promises? Well, he and his family obeyed God. That's what they did. And, and they left that place and they followed to a place that God would show them. But as they left and as they traveled, he and his wife were getting older. And older, and older, and older, and older. And soon they got to the point that they were past childbearing age. By Genesis 17, the scriptures record that Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 90. Well, you might say, but they lived longer then. Well, yeah, they did. But even they knew that they were past childbearing age. Somehow people let, lived longer, but childbearing age might have been a little bit longer, but not 90 and 99. 
They knew they were past that. And so as they got older, God's promises, the memory just became a distant memory. Has that ever been true of you? Are God's promises ever become just a distant memory for you? As they got older, one day God decided to reinforce this promise to them. Like I'm asking Him to do for you. I'm asking God to reinforce His promises to you today. He did it in a very unusual way. Took him outside his tent, said, look up at the sky. It was a clear night. He said, here's what he said. Look toward the heavens, count the stars if you're able. So shall your descendants be. And that night, God gave Abraham faith to believe that promise. And God saved him that night. He applied the righteousness of God to Abraham giving him faith, giving him the righteousness of God. And he saved him that night. But time kept going on. But a few years later, Isaac was born. Probably even while Sarah was pregnant with Isaac, before the MRI. You know? He, he probably leaned over to her one night and said, you know, honey, God really does keep his promises, doesn't he? You're pregnant. Isaac's born. He gets to be a young teenager. And then a, a sobering day comes to the life of Abraham and Isaac and Sarah. God comes and speaks to him in a way that he can hear again. Only this time, it's a message that may be the most difficult message he's ever heard God speak. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Now, if these weren't God's words, we'd think they were Satan's words. Right? We'd think this was a direct frontal attack on the promise of God designed to derail it. In fact, just the opposite is true. Exactly the opposite is true. These are the words of God specifically designed for a man of faith in order to cause him to become more of a man of faith and to bring about the fulfillment of the promise. How confused. You ever been that confused? That you thought the hand of God was the hand of Satan? Sure. All of us have. Why? Because the promises of God are about as fleeting for us as they were for them. What would Abraham do now? What about God's promises? God, don't you remember what you said? <laughs> sure, he remembers. Something bigger and better is going on here. What's going on? God is sanctifying, is setting apart Abraham more and more to himself. He is giving him the opportunity to become more like God. Sanctifying him. How, you might ask. Glad you asked. That's why we're here. Now, on your, on your outline, I've put the scripture and the, and the, this is from the New American Standard. I put it on there. You can open your Bible if you want to, but it's on your outline already. I'm gonna, coming from 2 Peter, the first chapter, the first 11 verses, we're gonna look at that this morning. To answer the question, if we saw sanctification from God's point of view, what would it look like? Here's what it is. Here's what it is. Children, wake up. You wake. Okay? Parents, this is a bigger challenge than the kids. Parents, wake up. Okay? Got to be able to answer these questions. 
Look at look there. Second Peter one, one to four. Simon Peter is writing. He's a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as that which God gave to Peter. By the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? How will grace and peace be multiplied to them? In the knowledge of God, and our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that His divine power... Here's, here's the first promise. There's two promises here. You just really got to get your arms around. Seeing that His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through a true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these... Promise number two. Here it comes. He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. All right, two promises. The first one, let's go back and look at it once more. It's it's right there in verse 3. His divine power has granted us everything. Say everything with me. Everything, not most things. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. What's he talking about when he's talking about life? He's talking about this new life in him. Now, does it apply to life in general? Sure. But that's not what Peter's talking about. He's talking about our life in him, our salvation, our ability to live in a way he calls us to live. And to, and to become more and more like Him. How's that going to happen? Because His divine power, God's power, God's creative power, God's resurrection power is going to give us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us. Wow. See, it's... All that we need to become like God is going to come from God. Nothing, not one thing is going to come from you. Isn't that what it says? Now, I don't see this is unbelievable and half the people sitting in this room don't believe it yet. Everything pertaining to life and godliness is going to come from His divine power to you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? All right. Absolutely. You'd probably be more correct to say, yes, I believe. Help my unbelief. Right? It's so vast, it's almost unbelievable. Yeah. His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through a true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Now, how many of you have put your arms around the glory of God? You say, every husband should raise their hand and say, "Yes, it's my wife." Okay, but that's not what I'm. That's not where I'm going with that. Okay, we have. If you're in Christ, if He has saved you, you have experienced the glory of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. I'm going to wait till you get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Quick, get there. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. If you're in Christ, if He saved you, you have already experienced His glory and excellence. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, quote-unquote, God who said, let there be light, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Wow. See, when he saved us, when he saved a sinner like me, God caused his glory to shine into my sinful dead heart so that I could understand not only that I was a sinner, but that His Son was my Savior. And it was the glory of God that God Himself connected to Jesus Christ 
so that the glory of God in the face of Christ shone into my heart. And I said to him, Thank you, God. Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. Right? That's what happened. We already, God has already taken the initiative in our lives to reveal Himself to us, to reveal His Son to us, to to pour the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ into our hearts. That's the only reason you're here this morning, is because He's done that. So we've already experienced that. But Peter says there's a way that we're going to get to know Him even better than we already do. There's a way that God has intended to help us to know Him, to reveal ourselves, Himself to us. And it's in this second promise. The first promise again. Let's read it together. His divine, see it red underlined? His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Yet... All the way home, you ought to say that in the car. His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You have to say it over and over again and then say, and I believe that. But here comes the second one. For by these, verse 4, for by these, by what? Well, probably talking about his power, his glory, his excellence, everything that he's already talked about. By, by the, by the, for by these because of who He is. That's what He said. Because of who He is, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. Think of a promise. Everybody, just think of a promise that you know, that you rely on, that you that's important to you. You go to it often. I'm not going to ask you to say it. I just want you to get it in your mind. Got one? Got a promise that God has made that you rely on, that you trust Him for? Got one? Okay. He says, He has granted us His prayer. That's a gift of God. In order that by them, by these precious and magnificent promises, you might become what? A partaker of the divine nature. That you might become a partaker of the divine nature. Children might not be able to understand this, but teenagers and adults can. There's a difference between the essence of God and the character of God, the qualities of God. He's not talking about the essence of God. You're not going to become little gods. You're going to take on the quality of God. Part of the nature of God, the qualities of God. Through these precious and magnificent promises... Peter says there's something that comes with the fulfillment of those promises. And it is the, the, the ability of his children to, to, to embrace the very nature of God. You want to understand that better? Do you want to understand that better? Do you want to understand how that works? How that actually works itself out? Would that make a difference? Would that make a difference in your life if you understood that and you believed it and you began to act upon it? Uh Uh-huh. It would. It would make a difference. And Peter says there's something that comes with that, his divine nature, and the truth is, it's his divine nature, I think, that is everything we need for life and godliness. I think that's the connection of the dots. But on the back side of your outline... I wanted to give you something that you could take home. This might be refrigerator material. Because I wanted you to connect the dots with a few examples. A person, look at the big, the caps, the all caps thing under 2 Peter 1.4. A person who believes a promise God makes not only receives what God promises, but something more. In addition to the thing that God promises, they do get that, but they get the nature of God that is at the core of who God is that will cause him to keep that promise. Now, I've given you five examples here. 
Look at the first one. We've already talked about this. We've read it. His divine power has granted you everything pertaining to life and godliness through a true knowledge of him. Now, here's the question I asked myself. What of God's nature is at the core of that promise? Well, at least one of the things, one of the aspects of God's nature that is at the core and that will be the reason he'll keep that promise is that he has a great desire to give to his children. Do you believe that? Can you say amen? Is that true? Does he have a desire to give to his children? He does. He does. And when you put your arms around the promise of God, when you say to him, I believe what I just read, even though it's astounding to me, I can hardly believe it, but I do believe it. I trust that you will do what you say, that you will give to me everything pertaining to life and godliness because of who you are. Because that's just the way you are. You desire to give to your children. Now the person who puts their hands around that promise also, Peter says, is going to get that aspect of God's nature too. In this case, it would be what? A desire to give to the children of God. You ever been stingy? You ever some, you heard about a need of somebody in the church and you said, oh, I sure hope the church meets that need because I can't. And even if I could, I don't think I have time. And even if I had the time, I'm not sure I'd want to. Well, that would be a person who needs the divine nature of God, that aspect of God that's going to drive God to keep His promise. Look at number two. Let your character be free. This is Hebrews 13. Let your character be free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Being content with what you have. For he himself said, here's the promise, it's underlined, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Okay, there's the promise. What of God's nature is at the core of who he is that will drive him to keep that promise? Well, at least two things, and probably many more. His faithfulness to never Forsake. His faithfulness to provide for his children. Now, somebody who puts the... By the way, how many of you said, when I asked you to think of a promise, thought of that one? I will never leave you nor out. Okay. I think that may be the most embraced promise. I'll never leave you nor will I ever forsake you. I think that might be. I don't know. But if you put your arms around that and you say, God, I believe that. Even when it doesn't look like it, I believe it. Along with that, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to get with that what we read here, following the promise. So that, here's the writer of Hebrews saying, so that we confidently say, read it with me, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what shall man do to me? You see, you even right there in that, in those couple verses, is the whole kit and caboodle. There's the promise. There's the impact of the promise on the one who receives the promise, so that they talk like God. They talk like a person who believes it, like a person who has embraced the very character of God. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid even though this situation is scary. Look at number three. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a... Boy, now there's the maybe the most daily promise, huh? Right there. What about God? What about His nature is at the core of His always answering, of always, of always fulfilling that promise. Have you ever sinned so much or so repeatedly that you thought, can't ask him to do this again? Can't ask him to forgive me again? You ever thought that? Sure, sure. Everybody has thought that. What's wrong with that? It's just not true. God's promise is 
that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to cleanse us. What's, what's at the core there? His faithfulness to forgive. Now, if, if you put your arms around that promise for yourself, you get the effect, you get the end of that promise for yourself. Forgiveness, cleansing, but you get something else. Peter says, you get the divine nature. You get a desire to forgive that's like God. And your family, those closest to you, begin to see in you a person who all of a sudden is more forgiving than they've ever seen before. They come to you and they say, I was wrong, Dad. I was wrong, Mom. I was wrong, my son, my daughter. Will you forgive me? And instead of saying, well, that's a good question. I'll have to think about that. They say, absolutely. Absolutely, I understand. Absolutely, I'll forgive you. He has forgiven me so much. And, they be, and they're, those closest to it begin to say, man, my dad's different. My mom's different. My kids are different. Look at number five. Nothing wrong with number four. Look at that this afternoon. Number five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let, us, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. What aspect of the, of the very nature of God is tied up in that promise that will drive him to keep it? Huh. We've talked about this already. He's just generous. He's the most generous giver we know. And he gives wisdom without condemnation. Without condemnation. Have you, ever, have you ever gone to somebody and said, I need help, I need advice? And they said, and, and you said, will you, will you help me? And they said, well, it's about time. It's about time. I've been waiting for you to come and ask. Well, what's that? That's condemnation, isn't it? Where you been so long? Uh, or they might say, yeah, what would you do with the advice I gave you last time? What's that? Condemnation, isn't it? God gives wisdom to those who are His without condemnation of any kind. Glad you came. Here it is. Now, what impact is it going to have? If you grab onto that promise, you get the fulfillment of that promise, but you also get the very nature of God so that those closest to you are going to start to get, kind of find that they, they're close to a giver who when they give to meet a need doesn't condemn along with it. So at the bottom there I just put, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm going to ask you, do you believe that? Yeah, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Kids, this is for you, but adults like these two. You know, I've got a, I've got a, a point, three points. The first point is his promises enable completely. But here's a kid's way of saying that. The more you know, the more you grow. The more you know him, the more you grow. That's why you read your Bible, right? Because you want to know him. The more you know, the more you grow. If you say, teenagers, if you say to yourself, oh, I need to grow. The more you know, the more you grow. Here's, I'm going to go, I'm give you this assignment now. I'm going to give it to you again at the end. Three parts of this assignment. Look for God's promises. Read your Bible looking for God's promises. And when you find them, number two, Start looking for and thinking about that the part of his nature that's tied up in the keeping of that promise. Look for the promise, and when you find it, start thinking about what is it about God that's tied up in the keeping of that promise? What is it about him that will cause him to keep that promise? And then thirdly, get ready. Get ready because when he gives you the promise, when you embrace that promise, God is going to give you an opportunity 
to show that you get it. That you really do trust the promise that He made. He's going to give you an opportunity to show that you trust Him. That you're going to walk by faith in Him. He's going to show, give you an opportunity to show that you believe it. And not only that you believe it, but that as you've received His very nature, He's also in that, probably in that same opportunity, is going to give you an opportunity to give it away. To give the very nature of God that you've received from trusting the promise, to give it away to the people probably who are part of that opportunity. Probably your family. Look for the promise. When you find the promise, say, what part of God? What part of His character is tied up in this? His nature. And then get ready. He's going to give you an opportunity to see if you really believe it. And when you do, He's going to give you an opportunity then to give that nature away. Look at point two. Points two and three are going to be much quicker than point number one. Phil, did I ask you to read the next one? I think I did. Would you, would you stand and read the next section, verses five to seven, good and loud? Notice what Peter is not saying. He's not saying applying all diligence in your strength supply anything. That is not what this is saying. What has he already said? What is he saying here? He's saying there is something to work hard at. To work hard at walking by faith in the promises of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling us. That's the process of putting your arms around becoming more like God. You work hard, not at trying to be morally excellent. Who's the only morally excellent person you know? Jesus Christ. Right? That's the only morally pure, perfect person that's ever lived on this earth. We don't have moral excellence. We can't work hard at getting moral excellence. We can work hard at our walk of faith in Him who is morally excellent. That's what He's saying. Now, how do we do that? Well, one of the things that we do is we, we read the Word. You know, this morning you've heard, you heard some Scripture read to you. That's good. You're hearing Scripture preached to you. But we read it because that's one of the ways we walk by faith. Think about this. Who wrote this book? God, and who's, who's seen Him? Never saw Him. And yet you're to read it believing that it's His truth, His words, and without error. That's a walk of faith. Okay? So you have to read it. But there's a second aspect of our walk of faith, and that's prayer. And it doesn't matter if you're a child or a teenager or an adult. You have to get better at crying out to God in prayer. Let me give you an example. I'm not going to pray, but I'm going to talk to you about my prayer especially my prayer in relation to this passage, I have found myself praying things like this. I believe your promises, Lord. Lord, I believe your promises. Now, that is so simple, a child can pray that. Lord, I believe your promises. Parents, you've got to help your children when they... You've got to help your children find the promises. And when they find them, you, say, you have to say, do you believe them? Yes, tell him you believe him. I believe your promises. When it comes to moral excellence, is do I have a need for moral excellence? Are you kidding? What kinds of things come before my eyes or could come before my eyes? What kinds of things could come out of my mouth that would be anything but morally excellent? Oh man, 
I need moral excellence more than anybody in this room. Where am I going to find that? I'm going to say, Lord, I am the chief of sinners. You know that better than anybody else. You know how my desires are different than yours. My lusts. I lust for things that you hate. But you promised that you would give me everything pertaining to life and godliness, and I believe that promise. And part of that is your very moral excellence. You said you'd give it to me. Lord, you know what's coming up this week. You know on this day, I'm going to get into a situation where I have sinned before. I have sinned morally with my thoughts, with my words, with my actions, and it's coming again. It's going to be on Wednesday at 9 o'clock. I'm certain. But I'm trusting you this time. I'm trusting your promise to give me everything I need then for life and godliness. And when I get there, I'm going to be crying out to you for that moral excellence that you give. Knowledge. This knowledge is... How is it that I... What are the specifics of the the wisdom things I need to live a life of faith in the world that is not a world of faith? It's that kind of knowledge. So it has me crying out to him, Lord, I heard you say, if any man lacks wisdom, that's me! That you'd give me what I need without any condemnation at all. Well, give it to me. I'll even take some condemnation, but you said you wouldn't condemn me. See, do you talk to God like that? Self-control. Oh. How many of you need self-control? Raise your hand. Okay, this is, you know, if, if not this one. Okay, absolutely. Sometimes I say things like this to God about this. I say, Lord... Jesus, when I think about self-control, I think about you. I think you on the night before you died on the cross for me, you were in the Garden of Gethsemane and you said to your Father, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But, nevertheless, say it with me, not my will, but thine be done. That's the kind of, that's what I need. Lord, you know I need it. Not my will, yours. And I'm so grateful to know that you promised that you'll give me everything pertaining to life and godliness. And that as I believe that promise, you're going to give me your very nature. Perseverance. You ever, you ever been tempted to give up? Huh. Sure. Sure. God calls himself the giver of perseverance and encouragement. God O giver of perseverance and encouragement. You know I almost gave up. You know I may be tempted to give up. I trust you. I trust you. Help me to trust you more. You're the one who said, you shall reap if you do not grow weary. Grow weary of what? Careful. Careful. Grow weary of what? of walking by faith in His promises. That's what. Not growing weary of sucking it up and trying again. That's not what we're talking about. We're not saying, now plan better, work harder, try again, you'll get it right this time. No, we're saying work harder at trusting Him, which has you in the Word and crying out to Him in prayer. Qualitatively different things, isn't it? Godliness. There would be no hope for godliness if God didn't say this. I am at work in you to give you the desire and ability to do everything I ask. Brotherly kindness. You know what that means? Brotherly kindness means an affection for those in the family. Now think about your blood family. Do you have an affection for every single person in your blood family? Ooh, we even got a problem there, don't we? How about in this family, in the church family? 
Are there those you say, they have let me down so many times. And I should be affectionate to them? Exactly. Exactly. That's the very nature of God. What would he say of us? Frank, you have let me down so many times, but I sent my son to die for you. Father, give me an affection for every member of the family. And then name the name. Name the name of the one you struggle with the most. Put their name in there. The people you think have failed you the most. Put their name in there. Do you want to be sanctified in relation to your relationship with them? You've got to believe the promises that he's going to give you everything pertaining to life and godliness and his very nature. And those people are going to see a different person talking to them, interacting with them. And love. What's the difference between brotherly kindness and love? Probably a greater willingness to get hurt. A greater willingness to sacrifice. It's the kind of love that he calls upon every husband to have for their wife. So I might say something like this to God. God, help me to love Lee as much as you have loved me. Applying all diligence in your faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, supply. You go to him and you say, I believe your promise. You said you'd give me everything pertaining to life and godliness. You said that tied up in your promises are your very nature, which I'll become a partaker of. I believe that. I trust you to give it to me now. Let's check in, let's check in on Abraham. Look, look with me at Genesis 22. Remember I asked you, what would he do now? Look at Genesis 22. Kids, look there. If you can read, look there. Open your Bible and look there. Genesis 22, verse 3. In verse 2, he said, he had just said, take your son, your only son, sacrifice him. What's he going to do? What will he do? Look at verse 3. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. He split wood for the offering, arose, went to the place God had told him to go. What is Abraham doing? God made promises to him. He's applying all diligence to walk by faith in the promises that he's heard God give. So he gets up and he says, let's go. Two servants, Isaac, wood, fire, let's go. Besides, it's a long trip. Who knows what will happen on the way? I don't know if he said that. It's in the margin. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and he saw Moriah in the distance. Oh, no. Oh, no. We're here. We're Moriah. Look at verse 5. Abraham said to the young men, two servants, he said, you guys stay here with the donkeys. Isaac and I are going to go yonder and we will worship and what? And what? Return to you. We will go and worship and we, that's the grammar of it, we will return to you. Lots of commentators have a lot to say about that. But those are words of faith. That's applying all diligence in his faith to work hard to believe the promises that God said. Through you, all the descendants of the earth, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through one of your descendants. This is the only one he's got. Verse 6. Took the wood, the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son. So now Isaac has got the wood on his back. He took the fire, probably charcoal, probably lit charcoal in a, in a clay pot. And the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Walked on together. What's Isaac thinking? Well, we're going to see that in a minute. What's Abraham thinking? God, I know what you promised. I trust your promises. Well, we don't know that yet, but we're going to see that that's almost exactly what he's saying. Look at verse 7. Isaac spoke to Abraham. He said, Dad, 
Abraham says, here I am. He said, behold, I, I see the fire, I see the wood, but where's the lamb? God, Abraham finally speaks up. Here, words of faith. Applying all diligence in his walk of faith in his God. He says what? Verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb, my son. Is that because he saw the lamb? No, didn't see the lamb. It's because God promised Now, he didn't promise specifically about the lamb, did he? He just said, I'm going to give you descendants like the stars of the sky. This is the only son you have. God will keep his promise. He And then they walk on together quietly. Verse 9, they get to the place where he's... And they gather the stones, they build up the altar, and then the wood goes on the altar, and then he ties Isaac up and puts him on the altar. crucial moment now. Here's an action of faith. Abraham raises the knife. Raises the knife. It's like, here's the position. What do you think Isaac's thinking? He's not talking, but what is he thinking? What is my dad doing to me? But that's not the important words that are recorded. The angel of the Lord speaks. Abraham. Abraham! Stop. Now I know that you fear me. The word fear means to reverence. The word reverence has the idea of believing. Now I know you believe me. Since you have not withheld your son. He didn't kill him, but but God knew he would. You You haven't withheld your son, your only son from me. Who's speaking? says it's the angel of the Lord, doesn't it? But if we go back to verse 2, who is the one who told him, sacrifice your son? It's God, isn't it? God said, take him and sacrifice him. Now down here, words attributed to the angel of the Lord, and he says, now I know you, you haven't withheld your son from me. See, in the Old Testament, typically, almost every time, the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus speaks from heaven. He is God, the the second person of the Trinity, right? He is God. And he he is the fulfillment of the promise himself, isn't he? Is he not? And he observes what's going on. In fact, he probably initiated what's going on. He observes what's going on. He intervenes and he speaks. I will never leave you nor will I ever forsake you. What have we seen? We've seen Abraham applying all diligence in his faith in the promises of God. Again, here's a kid's point, way of saying, but I like it. The more you rely, the more he supplies. The more you know, the more you grow. The more you rely, the more he supplies. Can you say amen? At least what you'd say is, I believe that. Help my unbelief. Last point. Andy, would you read... These verses, please, verses 9 to 11. Thank you. I've I've called this point his perspective, God's perspective brings reality as well as motivation. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. 
in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says it in the negative. Let me say it in the positive. Same thing. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you useful and fruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever said to yourself, why is it that I don't see any fruit in my life? How come I I see other people being useful for the kingdom, but I'm not? I'm the greatest problem the kingdom has ever had. How come? Has to do with the promises of God and the way you've interacted with them or not. Here's some reality. You notice what it, what, what it doesn't say is it doesn't say there's no mention of the quantity of these qualities. You just have them and they're increasing. You might have a little and they're getting bigger. You've got these qualities, maybe just in a minuscule amount, but they're, they're growing. Why are they growing? Because you're, you're getting to know Him. Trust those promises. You're relying on Him and He's supplying. And those qualities, which you might look at and say, so little as almost to be non-existent. I want Him to grow more. So it's not how much, it's are they there and are you walking by faith in Him? Because if you are, they'll grow. But if you lack these qualities, here's the reality. And there's people in this room who are these things. I don't know that. I don't say that from a point of knowledge. I'm just assuming in a group this size, there are some here who are blind. You don't have these qualities. What qualities? The seven that are listed there. Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, brotherly kindness, love. I think I left one out, but you know what they are. If you don't have these qualities, if they're not yours, here's here's who you are. Peter says this. I would never dare say it. God inspired Peter to say it. You're either a pagan, you're either blind, that is, you're spiritually blind, you're a pagan, you're not a Christian. You're here where Christians are gathering, but you're either you're 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 spiritually blind or you're short-sighted. Why am I wearing these glasses? I have contacts. Why am I wearing these glasses? Cuz I got eye problems. I got eye problems and I can't read this Bible up here. I can't read my notes without them. It was just I can see the back row perfectly, Gail. So I'm watching you. Okay, I can I can see the back row fine. I just can't see two feet in front of my face. He's talking about a, a an eyesight problem that's due to a memory problem, an eyesight problem that's due to a memory problem. Notice the last the next phrase. If he, if he lacks these qualities, is blind or short sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. But in either case, this is a dangerous situation because you can't tell the difference between a pagan and a Christian who has forgotten that they've been forgiven. They look the same. It's a dangerous situation. But dear ones, if you think your sanctification depends upon you, you're in danger. It depends upon getting to know Him putting your arms around His promises so that you get the promise and you get His nature too. So what's needed? Hmm. What's needed? Well, here's what's needed. You need to remember His mercy. You need to remember His mercy. You need to remember how much you've been forgiven. If you're discouraged with your sinfulness and your lack of sanctification, lack of becoming like Christ, 
Here's what he says. Remember how much you've been forgiven. You've forgotten. You've forgotten how far, how much he's already done. Remember how much you've been forgiven. And trust his promises. Grab onto those promises. Trust him. Tell him you trust him. Ask him to help you to trust him more. Tell him you can't wait to be a partaker of the divine nature that drives the fulfillment of that promise. Now notice what he promises. Here's two more promises. He says, for as long as you practice these things. What things? Walking by faith in his promises. As long as you practice these things, you will never... What? Stumble. Doesn't mean sin. Doesn't mean you'll never sin. Well, what does it mean then? Uh, Read the next phrase, the next sentence, the rest of the sentence. For in this way, entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. You are going to get there. You're going to get there. Have you ever sinned so much you thought, I'm not going to get there? Sure. Sure. He says, a lie. A lie. If you walk by faith in me and my promises, you will get there. You're not going to stumble so as not to get there. Why? Because of who he is. What was Abraham thinking? As we wrap this up. Well, I've got the passage there for you. Hebrews 11 tells us, it's the Hall of Fame of Faith, and it tells us that as Abraham had the knife up over his head, here's what he was thinking. You can read this this afternoon. What was he thinking? Somebody tell me, who knows? If I kill him, God is able to what? Raise him from the dead. That's what he was thinking. That's what he was thinking. Apply, he was applying all diligence in his faith to supply perseverance and godly self-control. Huh? That's what he was thinking. But what was God thinking? Genesis 17, 1-7. We're not going to turn there. We don't have time. I've consumed too much time. Here, let me just tell you what he says. He says this to Abraham. I will be a God to you and to your descendants after you. Now, what does he mean by that? I will be a God to you. I will be God to you. Kids, if you're in Christ, God is saying to you, because if you're in Christ, you are a descendant of Abraham. He's saying, I'll be a God to you. Teenager, he'll say... He's saying, I'll be a God to you. What does that mean? Just what we've been looking at here. The promises I make to my children are to you. They're yours. Hang on to them. Grab on to them. They will make, you will become like me in areas of your life that are so discouraging to you. I will be a God to you and to your descendants after you. Which means that the promises that everything pertaining to life and godliness will be given to you. That the precious and magnificent promises that as you partake of them, as you believe them, you partake of his nature. And what does that have to do with us? Well, Galatians 3, 6-9 and verse 29. Here's what verse 29 says. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. See how that connects to us? The promises of God are ours because we have become, if you're in Christ, we have become the offspring of Abraham. And we are heirs of the very promise of God. Well, I've got a simplified title for this too, for this third point. The more you practice kingdom living, the more the king just keeps on giving. What's kingdom living? Walking by faith in his promises. That's what it is. 
The more you practice kingdom living, the more the king just keeps on giving. How does he sanctify his people? There they are, right at the bottom of your notes. Kids, it's on the back page of yours. He gives us his promises, asks us to show that we believe them by taking action on them today. Secondly, he creates situations. He did for Abraham, didn't he? Create situations that give us the opportunity to show that we believe them. Abraham did. He gives us everything we need for that situation. His own nature to be given away to everybody involved. The power to keep us from stumbling so as to fall in that situation and entrance into his eternal kingdom. All right, remember the assignment again. Dads, remember this because you're going to be the question answerer. Number one, as you read your Bible, look for his promises. Number two, look for the, as you see a promise, look for what aspect of the nature of God is tied up and is at the very core of his keeping this promise. And then third, get ready. God will give you an opportunity to show that you believe it. He'll give you an opportunity to partake of his very nature as you hang on to it. And then he's going to give you an opportunity to give it away. The very nature of God that he has lavished on you. You believe that? Amen. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Father, we thank you for your word. It's astounding. Forgive us for thinking that your promises are for our comfort. They are our comfort but they're for our sanctification. Forgive us, Father, for interpreting the situations of life that you bring in such a way that we think it's Satan attacking us rather than it's you giving us the opportunity to walk by faith in you and to become more like you. Father, we, have, we confess that we have misinterpreted more situations in life that you sent for our sanctification Then we can that we'd have the time to tell. Forgive us. We believe. Help our unbelief. Amen. Just before Tim comes up, I think I want you to go over with me those three things, the simple ones. The more you know Him, the more you grow. Say it with me. The more you know Him, the more you grow. The second one. The more you rely, the more He supplies. Say it with me. The more you rely, the more He supplies. Third one. The more you practice kingdom living, the more the King just keeps on giving. Say it with me. The more you practice kingdom living, the more the King just keeps on giving. Amen.